You may have heard recently that the Chinese government has started something called the social credit system. Uh, it's, it's similar to our credit rating system, but the Chinese system includes in your rating things like what you buy and how you treat your neighbor. All right, so yeah, this is a little bit, feels a little bit like an episode of Black Mirror for those that watch this. So there was a, there was a guy named Luau Duan who, he went online one day to buy a high-speed train ticket to Beijing. And he put his name in and he put his credit card information in and this screen popped up that says, cannot complete transaction, you've been put on the untrustworthy list by the court. Uh, he didn't really understand what was going on, so he looked into this and found out that he had been put on this list, this untrustworthy list, and he couldn't fly any longer, he couldn't use high-speed trains any longer. In fact, all of his credit had been frozen. Uh, China had started this as a way to crack down on people who weren't repaying their loans, but what happened with this guy was that he worked in the coal industry, and he would purchase large amounts of coal to store and then, then resell later, and he'd taken out loans to do this, and one day China changed their energy policy, and the price of coal collapsed, and he could no longer sell the coal for what he needed to, and he couldn't repay the loans that he owed, so he wound up on this list. No high-speed trains, no planes, frozen accounts. And then, to top it all off, he's driving down the road, and he looks and he sees one of these big, gigantic digital billboards alongside the road, and his face is on it, and his ID number is on it, and it says, this man is untrustworthy. And there was like a scrolling list of everybody that was on this list, and these billboards were all over town. His face with the words, this man is untrustworthy. Uh, he'd been blacklisted. Uh, the, the, the passage in Hosea that we're about uh, to read this morning is a warning to God's people that, hey, you guys are about to be put on the list, so to speak. They are about to be rejected by God and sent into exile because of their sin. Uh, and some of us may know what that feels like, to feel like you've been exiled or rejected because of your sin. Or maybe if you don't know what that feels like, you know someone who probably feels like that. And so we're going to think about that together this morning, how this path away from God starts and, and where it winds up and especially what it feels like. And then ask, is there a way back from this, from this list so Hosea 9, beginning in verse 1, this is God's word. Rejoice not, O Israel, exult not like the peoples, for you have played the whore, forsaking your God. You have loved the prostitute's wages on all threshing floors. Threshing floor and wine vat shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail them. They shall not remain in the land of the Lord, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean food in Assyria. They shall not pour drink offerings of wine to the Lord, and their sacrifices shall not please him. It shall be like mourner's bread to them. All who eat of it shall be defiled, for their bread shall be for their hunger only. It shall not come to the house of the Lord. What will you do on the day of the appointed festival and on the day of the feast of the Lord? For behold, they are going away from destruction, but Egypt shall gather them, Memphis shall bury them, nettles shall possess their precious things of silver, thorns shall be in their tents. The days of punishment have come, the days of recompense have come, Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. 
The man of the Spirit is mad because of your great iniquity and great hatred. The prophet is the watchman of Ephraim with my God, yet a fowler's snare is on all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. You will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit of the fig tree, on the fig tree in its first season, I saw your fathers. But they came to Baal Peor and consecrated themselves to the thing of shame and became detestable like the thing they loved. Ephraim's glory shall fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Even if they bring up children, I will bereave them till none is left. Woe to them when I depart from them. Ephraim, as I have seen, was like a young palm planted in a meadow. But Ephraim must lead his children out to slaughter. Give them, O Lord, what will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breast. Every evil of theirs is in Gilgal. There I begin to hate them. Because of the wickedness of their deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebels. Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Even though they give birth, I will put their beloved children to death. My God will reject them because they have not listened to him. They shall be wanderers among the nations. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, this is your word, and this is, a, um, this is a difficult part of your word, and it's a hard part of your word. Uh, so I pray that you would be gracious to us uh, and give us ears to believe the truth of your word, uh, and even in a hard text to be led to the comfort that only you can give. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of Jesus' most famous parables, you all know, is the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, In that story, which you can find in Luke 15, a father has two sons, the younger of which asks for his share of the estate, uh, leaves to go off to a far country, blows all his money, has to find a menial job where he struggles to make ends meet. Eventually, he decides to return home. And I think that story of this younger brother and the prodigal son is a good lens through which to view what's happening with God's people here in Hosea. Uh, Despite his grace to them, despite the fact that he brought them out of slavery and into the promised land, they've rejected God. Uh, They've run away spiritually. And now God is going to use Assyria to actually forcibly remove them physically from their land. Their, Their younger brother lifestyle has finally caught up with them. And they're going to be sent away into the far country. And so we're going to think about this kind of through that lens, thinking of, of three headings, running away, life in the far country, and coming home. Running away, life in the far country, and coming home. First of all, running away. You can say one of the main plot lines in the Old Testament is that of God calling Abraham to himself out of idolatry. And then rescuing Abraham's descendants from slavery in Egypt. And then giving them his law. And then taking them to live in the promised land. Uh, Verse 10 in our text says, Like grapes in the wilderness I found Israel. And so God is comparing himself to a traveler going through a a barren wasteland. And he unexpectedly comes across these grapes that are bearing fruit. And and such an unexpected and wonderful joy that would bring to the traveler. And he's saying this, like, Israel, I found you and I found delight in you. 
But now they aren't happy. Now they've decided we don't, we don't want to be at home with you anymore, God. We want to run away. And so they, they leave God. Uh, verse 1 tells us, Hosea tells the people that they have played the whore. It's the language he uses over and over again in this book. That they've been spiritual adulterers. That they have forsaken God. Uh, last week when we were together, we, we looked at some of the ways that God's people did this. Some of the ways they ran away from him. They put their trust in kings and in political leaders. And there was one stretch of 19 kings where seven of the kings were actually assassinated. They turned to Assyria for help instead of turning to God for help. They went through the motions of religion, trusting in their own religious activity instead of trusting in God. They trusted the words of their culture, the culture around them, instead of trusting what God said in his word. And they turned to the false god of Baal to bring fertility to the land instead of trusting in God. And really, you know, if you think about it, they were, they were just doing what we all do. They were, they were looking for blessing apart from God. I mean, you can see that if, with Adam and Eve looking for, the, for, the, for blessing in the forbidden fruit. You can see that in the author of Ecclesiastes as he looks to sex and money and building projects and entertainment to try to find blessing and meaning for his life. You see it in the younger brother and the prodigal son as he asked for his share of the inheritance before his father died, which would be his way of basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. And then leaving home to find blessing in the far country. You find it in our own lives as we bow down to created things and look for comfort and power and pleasure and control instead of bowing down to the creator we're kind of like the kid who enjoys the gift the christmas gift our father has given us more than we enjoy our father himself uh, when susan and i were getting married we had, and some of you have heard me tell this story we had gotten to the part of the ceremony where i was supposed to place the wedding ring on her finger uh, and I took the ring from my best man and I, I turned to Susan and I, and I tried to put the ring on her finger, but she started doing this. Like she wouldn't take it. And I was like, what? what? And so I tried again and she's like, no. And, and I couldn't fathom that suddenly she had changed her mind in such a public place. And, and I started thinking, well, did I forget something? Was there something they said in rehearsal? Was I supposed to do something before I put the ring on her finger? And so I turned to the minister. I remember the last thing he said was, what token do you give? So I took the ring and I held it in the minister's face. And I said, this, this is the token I give. At which point, Susan grabbed the ring out of my hand and, and put it on her hand herself. And everybody lost it for the rest of the ceremony, but, but including the guy who was trying to do the service. But, but what had happened was I was trying to put the ring on the wrong finger. I, nobody had like explained all this to me. I was just like, "Take it, please. Let's let's just do this." Um, but but rewind that scene for a minute. Imagine if when I had, had handed her that ring, imagine if she had taken the ring and gotten really excited and said, "Finally, my precious!" And then had taken the ring and went running from the church. Okay, we would we would I would find that very troubling. Uh, we, 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 would, we would all find that very true. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're, you're getting married. It's not about this gift that he has just given you. I, I think that's a picture of what we tend to do with God's gifts. Like, we, we take them from him, and then we, we leave him at the altar, as it were, and we run away to try to enjoy the gift and try to get life out of the gift 
instead of looking to the giver of the gifts and finding life and joy in him. We forget the one who loves us. We forget the one who longs for a relationship with us. And where does that leave us when we, when we run off? Well, that comes to our, our next point, uh, life in exile. Hosea tells the people, guys, you are headed for exile. You are headed for life apart from God. Assyria is going to swoop in and destroy the nation and carry you off into captivity. And Luke chapter 15, the younger brother experiences this exile of his own making when he finds himself in the far country alone and broke and hungry. What does that feel like? What does it, what does it feel like to be in exile and know that, that you're there out of your own making, that, that, that you've gotten yourself into this situation. I, I think our text kind of shows us this. Verse 1, we read, you've played the whore. And maybe you've been in exile, or you're in exile, and you read that, and you're like, yeah, that's, that's me. Verse 4 and 5 speak of being separated from the worship of God. And, and maybe there was a time for you that you felt close to God but now he feels as far from you as the east is from the west. And what feel close to you are your guilt and your shame. Maybe other people have insinuated to you that you have no place among God's people. Or maybe you don't need them to do that because you, you, can, you can figure that out for yourself. Or you feel that for yourself. That you're too unclean. Verse 6 looks back to their slavery in Egypt and says... I mean, you guys are basically heading back to this. The, the exodus is being reversed. And maybe you know what it feels like to be in slavery, in slavery to your addictions, to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography, to achievement, to what other people think of you. Maybe you want a way out, but you can't figure out any way to escape, and you just feel trapped and enslaved. Verse 6 goes on and talks about that nettles shall possess their precious things of silver. Thorns shall be in their tents. Maybe you've lost your home or your job or your possessions or your home has become such a wreck because of your life that you can never imagine anybody seeing what's really going on in your home. Verse 8, maybe you think the prophet is a fool. You've heard people speak the word of God to you in the past and you just thought they were foolish or self-righteous. Or both. Maybe you still feel like that, or maybe you've come to the place where you're starting to wonder, well, maybe they were right, but there's nothing I can do about it. Verse 9 says, He will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. Maybe you feel like you're being punished by God. Verse 10, they consecrated themselves to things of shame and became detestable like the thing they loved. Maybe you've done shameful things maybe you live in fear of someone discovering your google search history maybe you live in fear of somebody finding out what you've done maybe you feel like you are the detestable thing verse 12 even if they bring up children i will bereave them until none is left maybe you feel like god is punishing your children because of you and you constantly live with the regret of what if i had done this differently Verse 12, woe to them when I depart from them. Maybe you feel like he's already left. Verse 15, every evil of theirs is in Gilgal. There I begin to hate them because of the wickedness of their deeds. I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes 
are rebels. Maybe you feel hated by God and driven out of his house and you feel like there's no way that he loves you. Verse 16, Ephraim is stricken, their root is dried up, they shall bear no fruit. Maybe you feel like, I'm, I can never bear fruit again. That I'm, I'm doomed to this barren life. Verse 17, my God will reject them because they have not listened to him. They shall be wonders among the nations. Maybe you feel rejected and exiled with no hope of return. There was a story many years ago in a uh, magazine called uh, Leadership Journal where a church leader spoke of his descent into sexual addiction. And listen to what he said. Lust does not satisfy. It stirs up. I no longer wonder how deviants can get into child molesting, masochism, and other abnormalities. Although such acts are incomprehensible to me, I remember well that where I ended up was incomprehensible to me when I started. Some of you know what it feels like to wallow in the guilt of that obsession and to cry and pray with what other faith you can muster to plead with God to release you, to mutate you, to castrate you, whatever it takes to deliver you. You know self-hatred. Have you ever felt any of that? Forsakenness? Rejected? Enslaved? hating yourself, feeling like God has rejected you and will never have anything to do with you again, feeling like there's no way you could possibly ever come home. That brings us to the last thing here. How does a prodigal son or daughter come home? Can they come home? Uh, or, or will they simply be kicked to the curve? What can you do to get out from under the guilt and the shame that feel like this burden that you just can't carry any longer? How do you pay off debts that feel like they're too big to pay off? Well, the, the Bible, in one sense, is a long letter inviting us to come home. That's the good news. Um, Isaiah 30, For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. Hosea 14.1, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. The call of Scripture is to repent and to come back to the God whom we have left. And you're like, well, yeah, okay, I've heard that, but... What happens when I come home? Am I just going to get the door slammed in my face? I, I, I think the best, really the best picture in the Bible of, of God's response when we come home is in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. But when he had come to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. 
For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. The younger brother was right that he, was, that he needed to repent and return. But he was wrong because he didn't understand his father's character. He didn't understand who his daddy really was. He thought he was going to have to come home and be a servant. But he had a father who eagerly waited for his son to come home. And the father's impulse was not to scold him. It was not to berate him. But it was to kill the fattened calf and celebrate. That is the welcome that God extends to prodigal sons and prodigal daughters who come home from exile. Well, how is that possible? How is it that the father who is a just God, how can he welcome lost sons and daughters home? Mark 15. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken so that all sons and daughters could be welcomed. Galatians 3.10, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus was cursed so that we could be redeemed. While Dwan has paid off $300,000 of a $1.5 million debt, Uh, Lawyers in China say that even if he pays the entire thing off, while it's technically possible for him to get off the list, it almost never happens. Even when you pay it off, you stay on that list. But Loyal Duan says he's going to keep trying, he's going to keep paying off his debt, because he has to believe there's a way off the list. There's got to be a way for me to get off this list. The story of the Bible, y'all, is that there is a way off the list. But it's not by me paying the debt. It's not by me getting my act together. It's not by me being religious. Jesus has come under the curse. Jesus has placed himself on the list. He's been blacklisted. He has had his face put on the billboard and labeled untrustworthy for us. So that our sins can be forgiven so that we can come home forgiven, so that we can come home and be welcomed by our Father. And when we come home, instead of hearing what we hear in Hosea, He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. Instead, we'll hear, I have forgiven your iniquity. I will remember your sins no more. Those are the words of welcome that God extends to all who come home to Him. Some of you this morning may be thinking about leaving home and I would just encourage you that it's not all it's cracked up to be some of you right now are far away from home the invitation to you this morning is to come home come home and receive the welcome of your father let me pray for us father I am I pray especially for those of us this morning who may um, feel like we're off in that far country uh, and we feel like we have been rejected, feel like we have been forsaken. Would you help us?
to see that you have come after us, that you have sent your son to bring us home, that you have sent your son to be forsaken for us, that you love us, and that you long for us to return. Cause us to believe that and help us to come home. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.